0: In today's episode of the Higher Ed Shift, I sit down with Naja Jepsen, Senior Financial Programs and Scholarship Director at College Track. She has worked in the scholarship field since early 2015 and was a scholarship recipient herself. College Track is a national nonprofit organization serving first-generation students of color from low-income communities with a unique 10-year program supporting students through high school and until they graduate with a bachelor's degree. Their work is rooted in educational equity and racial justice, setting the stage for their students to thrive in careers where people of color have been historically underrepresented. Today, College Track serves more than 3,000 high school and college students at 12 centers across the country. All CollegeTrack students have an advisor that supports them in college, and 100% receive at least one scholarship from the organization. CollegeTrack scholars have a national graduation rate, two times that of low-income and first-generation students. 89% of their students take out less than $30,000 in loans, with 33% graduating debt-free. In our discussion, we focus on the little known phenomenon of scholarship displacement, learning more about the impacts it can have on students, as well as external scholarship providers' ability to fulfill their mission. We round things out with a discussion about pending legislation, looking to educate students about displacement and discouraging colleges from the practice. Please join us in our discussion now. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Higher Ed Shift. We are well into November, also known as National Scholarship Month, and naturally thought we should spend some time talking about the role external scholarships can play in paying for school. I have with me today Naja Jepsen, Senior Financial Programs and Scholarship Director with College Track. Thanks for joining me today, Naja.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So, College Track. Can you introduce College Track and yourself to our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with you?
1: Of course. So College Track is a national education nonprofit, and we serve first-generation students of color from low-income communities. We have a 10-year program that supports them through high school and then until they graduate with a bachelor's degree. And today we serve more than 3,000 high school and college students across 12 centers, which is in four states and the District of Columbia.
0: That's amazing. What states are you guys um, currently working with, or where are those centers located?
1: Yes, so I'm in California, and we also operate in Colorado, Louisiana, Maryland, and then Washington, D.C.
0: Well, so kind of a broad representation of, of the nation. A ballpark, how many students are you guys actively serving?
1: So we have uh, about 3,000 students right now who are in high school and in college. And while College Track has wraparound services, I specifically focus on our internal scholarships. So College Track offers scholarships need-based and merit, and 100% of our scholars get at least one scholarship from us, which is something that kind of attracted me to the position in the first place.
0: We always joke in financial aid that people get into the business in one of two ways it's never on purpose. So we either kind of fall into it accidentally, or some of us had work-study jobs. How did you find yourself at College Track?
1: Almost all of my jobs or internships have been in education even since high school, but I think it was probably the student job that I had when I was at UC Davis. I was working at Upward Bound, which is a college access organization And one thing that I'd always wondered about was what happened to our students once they got into college. And Mm. then, you know, fast forward after graduate school and I'm working at College Track, I found out that a lot of the graduation numbers weren't that great when students only have college access support and not actually the support when they're in college. And so I really like that College Track was doing both.
0: Yeah, no, that's it's such an important thing. Like you're saying, to to support and provide access and resources as students are searching and considering the college experience, but to continue to provide them as our students transition to college, and even from a financial perspective. So as part of a third-party scholarship provider, you really want to get dollars in the hands of students, right? It's it's your goal. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay, and students, I know that students who get external scholarship dollars are more likely to see success in college with increased likelihood of enrolling full-time, and they're less likely to have to work well in school, and both of these factors are predictors of increased completion. So talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges you actually face in getting to spend your scholarship dollars on students. What are some of the biggest challenges that that you guys face as a scholarship organization?
1: Well, I would definitely say that scholarship displacement is a really huge hurdle for both students and scholarship providers. Scholarship displacement is when one form of financial aid, like a university grant, is either reduced or canceled completely because the student wins a second form of financial aid, like an outside scholarship. For our students, we're working with first-generation and low-income students, and sometimes they are making a huge decision, like what college to go to, specifically based on the financial aid package that they're getting. And so there's a lot of time that goes into creating a scholarship, coming up with the application, what does the review process look like, and then also paying out the student. And so when they're not actually able to benefit from the money, that's really hard for both of us. And scholarship providers tend to be the last ones to find out that displacement has happened because the the students will find out sometimes a couple weeks into the semester, and then we can find out after that. And it's usually too late to redirect those scholarship dollars to a different student at that point
0: yeah when you when you think about the assumptions that a student might be making, if they don't understand that displacement is even something that happens, right? They may be looking at their financial aid offer that has a gap of three, 000, four thousand dollars, and then know that they have this external offer from you and think that they're going to be able to to make it work just to find out too late that they kind of end up at at net zero. That's I just I can't imagine the the frustration that students face in finding that out when it's too late.
1: Yeah, I think it can be pretty devastating especially if, you know, they were really torn between two different colleges. You know, we've all seen those videos where students are saying, you know, I won $500,000 in scholarships yes. and I would love to see a follow-up video of that to see those same people saying how much money they actually were able to spend from their scholarship money and if they owed any money afterward.
0: That would be so interesting. We all see the great grand story and the massive headlines of, like you're saying, of these students who who win millions of dollars in scholarships, but really to be able to see where they net out would be would be interesting. Let's talk about the student impact a little bit more because I know you guys work really closely with with students with the wraparound services. Uh, So beyond just being a point of frustration or disappointment, what impact have you seen displacement have on the students you're working with?
1: Because the financial reasons behind choosing a college can be one of the biggest reasons for people Mm -hmm. it doesn't give students a lot of chance to come up with a plan B if they're finding out about displacement a couple weeks into the semester. There is a study that the Federal Reserve does where they ask Americans, what would you do if a $400 emergency expense came up? And in the most recent one, 39% of Americans said, that would be really hard for me to cover. Mm -hmm. And 12% said, I just can't cover that. There's no family I can ask. I can't, there's nothing I can do. And so that makes me think about what happens to a family when their student loses a $2,000 grant from the university and they're being told if it's not paid right now, the student will have to be dropped from their classes. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can be pretty devastating and confusing. It's helpful when there's other backup plans such as emergency funding that universities can offer. We also have our own emergency fund, but the whole process, it can also sort of leave a sour taste in people's mouth because they might feel like they were told something by a university. And now once they're already there, the situation has changed.
0: Yeah. I think it, you can, you can create some trust issues as to your point, as, as a college by not pre-educating and letting a student know what's going to happen. And, and students don't understand it because in their mind, they lost money uh, and it it makes it really difficult. So what steps have you taken or have you seen other providers try and take to to try and address the challenge of displacement for the students you support?
1: We have a We have a merit scholarship, we have our emergency fund scholarship, and then we also have an annual need-based scholarship. And what we do is we look at the student's financial aid award letter and the cost of attendance to determine what the student's financial need is. This is very similar to how university financial aid offices determine aid. And these scholarships should be the least likely to be displaced because we're considering the full financial package. Another thing that we do is we allow our scholarship to cover the full cost of attendance instead of just tuition and fees or other tax-free options. Um, Mm -hmm. For listeners that don't know, with the cost of attendance, some of the items are considered taxable by the IRS and some are not. Um, The non-taxable items are tuition and fees, books and supplies, and then required materials. And so those are the most popular of the um, scholarship um, scholarships that go out. So a lot of university grants would only be for tuition and fees. And if the same student is getting multiple outside scholarships that also can only go towards tuition and fees, that student could potentially have scholarship displacement because they have too much money that is only for that restriction, restricted option. But they still are going to have to cover their housing, their travel, um, other things that you need to pay for when you're a student.
0: Because those are real costs. A lot, a lot of people want to distill costs down to tuition and fees. And the reality is, college is so much more expensive than just tuition and
1: fees. I know. I think another thing that has been really helpful for us in the last five or so years is we kind of started a, a bit of a communication strategy with the colleges that we work with. We reach out to them before we send out our scholarship checks. We let them know the student's name, the student ID number, how much the check is for, what it can be used for. Other scholarship providers could do something similar, and if they have restrictions like a GPA restriction, Mm -hmm. we don't have that, and I I recommend not having that if you can avoid it. But um, giving this information to the college ahead of time is really helpful because we all know that at the beginning of the year. It's very busy at colleges, especially in the fall. Um, I'm sure when you were in the financial aid office, the fall is such a busy time and processing can take a really long time. So having that extra part of communication going out to the email before sending the check has been really helpful. Yeah, and it helps to, it
0: can help to build relationship. And um, I think it, it can also help the aid offices to understand how your offers can be used because. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if we don't have those relationships and we don't have that information as an aid professional I'm just going to assume I have to I have to take the most conservative assumption right so maybe I then assume that the scholarship is need based when it's not and those assumptions can have very different impacts on a financial aid offer or even on the displacement efforts and I would think it also allows you if you send out those communications it allows the institution to raise their hand, um, especially if they know who you are and be able to say, hey, the student's institutional aid package is or offer is going to be impacted by this. And then you can get ahead of that with the student.
1: And that has actually happened with us because has it? They, yeah, we have some success stories with that, but they have, you know, they have my contact information. It comes with the email if they have any questions, they can reach out to me. Um, We, we had a college do that this year saying that we would, it would be displaced dollar for dollar. And it was great because we actually had time then to re to reallocate those dollars to a different student. And that just reminded me why I'm so happy that we do do that. Um, I also wanted to share a story from one of our scholars. So yeah, I had a great conversation with one of our scholars the other day. Her name is Emily Liang, and she's a second year at Stanford. Emily is a student that won a full ride to college. But before she did, she had won also some very generous outside scholarships. But because she had a full ride, she wasn't going to be able to benefit from both of those. Mm-hmm. Since Emily knew what scholarship displacement was ahead of time, she was able to proactively talk with these outside scholarship providers And they agreed to let her defer her scholarship to graduate school. And this was just so genius. And I love that idea. I'm going to tell other students to do that. But now Emily has this really amazing opportunity where she can decide if graduate school is the right decision for her, for her career trajectory, and instead of, can I afford graduate school?
0: That is just such a smart consumer move. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. <laughs> it's it's tremendous especially because when we look at funding as difficult as funding an associates or a bachelor's degree is for our our students it is actually easier in funding those degrees than a graduate degree um and and easier because you know graduate students do do have access to funding, but it's the only funding that they get from the federal government are student loans. And so when you when you think about being able to then transfer those scholarships to reducing her debt as, as a graduate student, that is just, it's an amazing strategy um, to, to being set on a, a better financial path um, and one with less student debt as, sh- as she goes forward. I love that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely remember back in the day looking for graduate scholarships and being pretty dismayed at what was available. And so I made the decision to actually study in the UK because it was cheaper than going to grad school in my home state.
0: I feel like that is a bit of a sad statement (laughs) (laughs) about our funding opportunity for graduate programs. I will tell you that so I happen to have my master's in secondary education, which I financed fully through student loans. My sister, on the other hand, is a very smart, um, STEM-oriented individual, and she managed to get her master's and PhD fully covered through um, through fellowships. And But apparently, that's what happens when you go into the sciences. There's a lot more funding in that space. <laughs> So oh, I totally understand. I think the biggest lesson though, for, for students in particular is it never hurts to ask. Yes. That is you know, correct. Yeah. If if this student had not asked the very bold question, which I would have never personally thought to ask, then she never gets the answer of yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. And, and I knew that other providers are doing they're doing some pretty drastic things to to try and overcome displacement from dividing their awards over multiple years to um, considering doing it kind of as a back end of a loan repayment post graduation. Yes, I've heard, of, I've heard of that. I've heard of Dell um, going using an intermediary in 529s to to try and help and so i just i hope that we can open up a little bit more of the conversation around how to counter displacement because if if we don't do it like as an industry as a financial aid professional and for you as as a scholarship provider if we don't get together And find a middle ground. We're going to end up being regulated by the federal government in the states, and we do have instances of a couple of states that have passed legislation to help reduce displacement. Right?
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. There's some really exciting stuff going on about that right now. Um, So. A membership organization that I'd like to plug is the National Scholarship Providers Association. Um, It's a wonderful organization. I've done some presentations about scholarship displacement in the past for them, but they're very active in moving those efforts forward. Um, Michelle Johnson and her previous organization, Central Scholarship, did a lot of work for the Maryland law that was actually passed in 2017. And that bans scholarship displacement at public universities in Maryland. Currently, New Jersey and California have assembly bills. The California one, which I was looking into a bit more because I'm in California, that's currently a second year bill, and that would be for Pell eligible students, and it's ac- and it would uh, cover all of the institutions, so public and private, which is pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, but it's l- it's limited to Pell only. Yeah. That's kind um, of disappointing. I mean, it's a step in the right direction. Don't, I don't want to look—I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. Step in the right direction, but a little disappointing that they would limit it only to to the Pell eligible students.
1: I think what I'm trying to focus on is just that having them be a bill is bringing more attention to this and bringing to light that this can happen, and students and their families can be aware that scholarships could be displaced. There's mm-hmm. also work around a national bill, and this one would be more about colleges needing to notify students about their scholarship displacement practices. Um, this is something as a scholarship provider, I really wish was readily available to students. Um, if I could you know, wave a magic wand about scholarship displacement, I would want every college to have their scholarship displacement policy posted on the website. Giving examples of what would cause it to happen and also the order in which it would be displaced. So mm-hmm. if they displace loans first, then work study, then gift aid. I think that if students are making this really huge financial decision, they need to have all the information first before they're actually, you know, deciding which college to go to.
0: They need to be having this this education needs to be happening for our traditional students. In their senior year, like early senior year, so that they know before they start applying for federal aid and for scholarships, so that when they start to look at those financial aid offers, they've already got a clear understanding of what displacement is and, and how their scholarship search you know, can be what path they should go on from a scholarship search perspective and the impact on, on the aid offers that they have. Because to your point, they need we need students to be able to make a sustainable funding decision from year one. I, I don't want students, I don't want students who make it in year one and just figure out how to make it by financially and then have to transfer to another institution. So I, I do love that idea of early communication and education so that by the time they get their financial aid offer, students are already aware.
1: Yeah, and I think just having the right questions to ask for the students. So the students should always ask, is this a renewable scholarship? Is this a freshman year only one? Mm -hmm. If the scholarship is requiring that they maintain a very high GPA, is there a probationary period that comes with that or would they just lose funding the next Semester. Um, these are questions that I think we should have students asking earlier on, so that they can have a, a plan B. It well, would. Also, I oh, say.
0: No, I was gonna say what I would love to see is institutions being a little bit more proactive in the communication about those re- renewal criteria. Yes, and I, I love that you're saying students should students should ask the question. Totally agree. There, there, but there needs to be a little bit more ownership on both sides, I think, of of the conversation around scholarships.
1: Absolutely. Um, And I think once scholarship displacement does happen, if the colleges could clearly communicate with an email to the student explaining that it has occurred, because what we are encountering with our students is that they're not getting an email saying that their award package was adjusted. It's just being adjusted on the back end a student Mm. now, like you're saying, all the onus is being put on them. They would have to look at their original financial aid award letter, the hard copy, and then cross-reference that with their student account to see if displacement had happened.
0: Yeah. And just being honest, even when we communicate that a financial aid offer has changed, we're probably, I historically was never very good at pointing out where it changed. Mm -hmm. And it was it's not a good thing, right? But it was a self-preservation thing about actually reducing the number of questions that we got. Um so I do I would hope that we could develop a better process to to let students know that their offer has changed and to be able to pinpoint the changes uh, that that were actually occurring so that we reduce the surprise factor that comes on there. Right. All right. So that federal legislation is more about an education to students, not so much about eliminating the displacement process. So I think I, re- and and the, my read on it is that this is kind of a first step in addressing the transparency around cost and scholarship and, and those, those elements for students. I'd love to have a little more teeth like the, like the Maryland or the California. I I really feel that part of being able to provide, like, I understand why colleges do it because their institutional dollars have a limited bucket. So I think scholarship displacement comes from a well-intentioned place because the desire is to be able to help more students. Um, but I think that I think we can do it in in a more student-centric way. And so some of that just comes down to transparency, education. And I think that if, If we can gain more traction in encouraging both colleges and aid offices to really think about the total cost of college instead of that focus on the tuition and fees, which I think we've seen a lot of traction there um, with things that organizations like Hope Center are doing around true cost of college. So that would be that would be my desire that we can really get them to shift and think about funding total cost of education, not just tuition and fees and seeing how that can positively impact or reduce displacement.
1: Yeah, and I I wish that there was no part of the cost of attendance that was considered taxable. Cause I think that that's what kind of scares some providers away from providing scholarships that cover that and then can lead to more displacement
0: totally true it makes zero i'm sure i'm sure there was some sense when when the <laughs> when the decision was made but i agree with you that 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 idea that there are components of cost of attendance that become taxable is really frustrating and confusing and it it does becomes it does become scary because now you're dealing with the irs and right. There's there's implications even when you get into the taxability standpoint, there's even potentially implications on future aid offers, expected family contribution. And so do you know, is there, I know within the NSPA community, uh, I, I've heard providers talk about lobbying for changes there. Do you know, is there any
1: traction around around that? Yes. I. So at the most recent conference, this was one of the questions that they asked the members, is this something that you would be interested in the NSPA um, pursuing? And um, I can, afterward, I'll send you some links that we can put um, if people want to learn more about this. But um, the NSP is a great place to start with that because I think a lot of us, probably colleges, scholarship providers, and students alike are just looking at this and thinking, why would this be taxable? Yeah. It's it's the
0: same thing when we start talking about loan forgiveness being taxable. Right? When we we start talking about student debt forgiveness being being taxable for for different student populations, it's just kind of like this doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me. Um so for me as as a practitioner, this is a place in in the legislation and it, from a lobbying effort that schools and scholarship providers can form coalition in trying to encourage change at at the national level. And so, yes, we will definitely provide some of those resources in the show notes so that people so that people can um, start advocating and and kind of gain forces. There. Sorry, I didn't mean I didn't mean to catch you totally off guard. I just knew I didn't have the resources for it.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, this is something that I I feel pretty strongly about. So I'm glad that you did ask about that and that the NSPA also feels strongly about it as well. That um, you know, it really I think undermines a lot, just like scholarship displacement, undermines a lot of the the work that scholarships are trying to do to support students in you know, pursuing a degree and trying to remove some of those financial barriers that can keep a lot of people out of that.
0: Yeah. And, and it, it really, it's amazing the, the statistical advantages that our students who have external scholarship offers get in their success in college. Like I said, from enrollment to being a full-time student to not having to work and and being able to complete their degree on time, we need to make sure that students are able to gain more access to these dollars and hopefully gain those advantages in completion so that we can we can continue to deliver on the promise of higher education and you know make it easier. It's I find it for, for organizations like yourself. I find it really amazing that our scholarship providers are actually struggling to give money away. It just, it blows my mind with all of the conversation about college affordability and access to dollars. And, and I talk a lot about how do we unlock more dollars for students to pay for college and eliminating displacement or significantly reducing it to me is one of the ways that we do this.
1: Yeah. I think what can be hard is when scholarship providers and colleges are working sort of siloed from each other and not working together, you know, the relationship between the two is very important. We have a shared goal. We're trying to achieve the same thing. And, um, I think that when we do work together, we can kind of better figure out these questions around scholarships. If we're both working on different policies that contradict each other, it's harder to get the appropriate amount of money to the student.
0: So let's do a shout out. I know that you have partnered with successfully with some of the colleges in the the states and regions that you work in. And I also know that a lot of our listeners are in financial aid and enrollment at different colleges who are on your wish list, the top two or three schools that you don't have a partnership or, or close connection with right now that you would like to develop. And let's see if we, let's see if one of them's listening. Oh, I know, I totally took you off. It's not on my list of questions.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I mean, we want to partner with schools that our students are going to be successful at. And, you know, we we have a lot of students going to colleges in the states that we operate in, but that doesn't have to limit where our students want to go. And so colleges that are really student-centered who like to take the time to explain things to students. Um, You know, as someone who pokes around a lot of websites, and I know that students and parents do this too, I really love when there are colleges that just have all the information I need very easily searchable. So if I want to find the outside scholarship page, I always get really excited when we come to a college that has this very easily searchable, has the contact information for the person, you know, email address, phone number, mailing address, um, because every school does this a little bit differently. And so we, I'm always excited when we come across colleges like that. And, um, I mean, I want to connect with every college. <laughs> All right.
0: So there's no, no limiter out there.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: I just wanted to give you an opportunity to ask for I think the golden goose out there that, that you've been trying to get in with their aid office and haven't been able to,
1: well, I think just sort of like that gold standard of having the information on the website. I think that that's a really easy lift for the college that reduces a lot of phone calls and emails that they also have to field if the information is buried away. Um, You know, we see see so many different ways that the college websites can be set up and some of them are really user-friendly and some of them aren't. We
0: have a tendency in financial aid To think that more information creates more transparency. And sometimes the the real value is found when we simplify and can be really tight and direct with our messaging.
1: Um,
0: But we're kind of trained to, to write to the edge case because of the compliance nature of what we do. So yeah, seen some, seen some great websites some not so great websites. (laughs) So as we wrap up, we always want to make sure that listeners can connect with our guests. What is the best way for people to connect with you?
1: Well, if you'd like to learn more about College Track, please check us out there. We're collegetrack.org. And, you know, I'm just on LinkedIn and, okay. If you are a member of the NSPA, I'm going to be presenting on emergency funds later later in this year. I think it's December 2nd. So um, if you want to learn more about emergency funding, please come to that webinar.
0: Everybody should want to learn more about emergency funding, by the way, especially because of the vacuum that we are going to see as those COVID dollars in, in our, her funds start to dry up. I think there's going to be an increased need for our institutional partners to explore state national resources. And they're really going to have to take a dive and look at their own internal dollars spent on emergency aid for students. So I think that I've, I would also encourage anybody to listen and, and to join. We will make sure to provide um, links uh, to all of those items in the show notes so that so that people can connect with you. I'm so glad you joined me today. This has been tons of fun, a great conversation. Thanks to everyone who's listened to us. Like I said, we'll we'll link Naja's contact information and resources about college track in the show notes. Uh, we request ask you to show your support for the podcast by following on your favorite platform and sharing this episode with your network. As always, if you have something to add to the conversation and would like to appear on a future episode of the Higher Ed Shift, please reach out at studentfinancialsuccess at campuslogic.com.